This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. A nasty side effect of the coronavirus outbreak, stigmatization of the Chinese community. And World Cancer Day is coming up next week. We'll update you on the year's most important advances. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The latest numbers show life expectancy in the U.S. is up for the first time in four years due to lower death rates for cancer and drug overdoses. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports that on average, an infant born in 2018 is expected to live about 78 years and eight months. It's about 76 years for males and 81 for females. The leading cause of death is heart disease followed by cancer. Politics is not really what I want to do, but it's about, it's about, you know, being aware of what's going on. Neil Young has officially become a Canarican after finally being granted his U.S. citizenship. He initially passed the citizenship test, but was asked to apply again after a delay because of his marijuana use. The 74-year-old Canadian icon moved to Los Angeles to pursue his music career 54 years ago. He started his journey to U.S. citizenship several months ago because he wants to vote against President Donald Trump in the 2020 election. And I heard clonk and it disappeared. So that was that was it. I mean... It was incredible. In golf, a hole-in-one is always memorable, but for a Quebec Zoomer, it was extra special because 61-year-old Laurent Hurtubise has only one arm. The amateur golfer was born with one arm and started playing golf at age 11. He made the incredible shot at the PGA Tour American Express in California. The last surviving fighter pilot ace who fought against the Luftwaffe in the Battle of Britain has died at the age of 101. Wing commander Paul Farnes was one of 3,000 airmen who defended the skies above southern England for three and a half months in 1940. They were dubbed the few after this famous speech by then Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many. Too so few. Wing Commander Farns died at home in Hampshire on Tuesday. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The spread of the novel coronavirus is bringing back anti-Chinese stereotypes, just like the spread of SARS sparked racism and anti-Asian tropes back in 2003. It's also bringing a big drop in business in our Chinatowns. I talked with Amy Goh of the Chinese-Canadian National Council for Social Justice. I'm worried about, of course, the stigmatization of Chinese-Canadian community, which is already happening. But just because we're Chinese, we're all potential, or in fact, we probably are seen as the virus carriers. 
And so the call for us to be quarantined if we just return from China and I'm sure other more draconian measures probably are being uh, suggested by some. Let's get specific. In some school districts, there were petitions. There was one in the north of Toronto, 8,000 signatures asking the school board to make sure that any family that had been anywhere in China self-quarantine or not allow their children to go to school. What what was your reaction to that? Mm. It is truly disheartening. And it really reminds me of what happened in SARS. When I work in a long-term care facility in SARS for the Chinese Canadian community, and it's the same thing. People are calling in to say, well, you guys have SARS. You are carrying SARS. Don't lie to us. Just because we serve Chinese Canadians, we are being seen as the disease carriers. This whole yellow peril myth is still here very much alive. And so this petition speaks to that and reaffirms that kind of myth and stigmatization of, of Chinese. Can you imagine the children now being told to stay away from school? Even if, let's say, 14 days after, do you think that his friends or her friends are going to be go and welcome them back with open arms? I'm sure the increased bullying that we have seen during SARS probably will be experienced by these poor young children. One thing that we have that was not here uh, during the SARS outbreak, and that is social media. There have been some viral posts that are certainly stigmatizing and possibly racist all over social media. And as I said earlier, this is not new, right? Racism is not new in Canada. The term yellow peril is not new. It was like we're talking about a hundred years ago, Chinese Canadians were termed, were being seen as the yellow peril. And so this is just, again, a modern version of that. And and so racism rears its head when people are in fear, when people don't know how to control their environment or they feel that they have lost control. They are fearful that their lives or their loved ones' lives are at risk. They need to point that and, and put the blame and responsibility on someone else. And in this case, of course, people, the, the, the Chinese Canadians are the right ones for them uh, because they have always been those, you know, those are the disease carriers and those are the ones who are causing all these troubles. So not new, but unfortunately, I think social media just makes it worse. This is coinciding with the Chinese New Year, which should have been a very busy time in our various Chinatowns. Has this affected business? I think this has been quieter since the outbreak has started in China. Lunar New Year is a time for family to get together. We usually go out with, of course, families and friends and all that. We also go out to, to eat. But don't forget that the Lunar New Year time, many of the Canadians of Chinese origin actually are not returning to China this year or Hong Kong or other parts of Asia because of this fear of the coronavirus. And if they are not <laughs> going to those places, and they are still not, you know, visiting the restaurants or going to places to to celebrate together in a communal setting. I think it it speaks to this 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 fear. It speaks to the anxiety also shared within the Chinese Canadian community and of course beyond the community 
as well. What was the impact on the Chinese business community of SARS the last time around? It was bad. It was so bad that, you know, restaurants, some of them were had to lay off staff. Some of them, some of the workers were told to stay on because they said, well, we have no business, right? And in fact, when we went to malls in different parts of uh, of Toronto, Scarborough and, and Markham and, York, and uh, Richmond Hill, you see a very quiet mall, which usually were packed with people, especially on weekends. So I, I was, I just also learned today that some malls are already seeing that. And in fact, those malls that I've heard were not predominantly uh, so-called Chinese Canadian malls because there were rumors that one of the shopkeepers had this virus. It was just a pure rumor. And immediately that whole mall is now being seen as like ground zero. You see what I mean? This time around, the impact would not just be felt by Chinese Canadians, business owners, restaurant owners, and shopkeepers and all that. This will be felt by also other uh, businesses. So what would you like to leave us with? Stay calm. Listen to authorities that are showing us, that are sharing with us evidence-based information. Follow those. Do not be overwhelmed by your panic, by your fear. Amy Go, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That was Amy Go of the Chinese Canadian National Council for Social Justice. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. World Cancer Day is a global initiative to raise awareness and make sure that cancer continues to be a priority in the world health and development agenda. It's also a good time to take stock of the progress that's been made against this devastating disease. I checked in with Dr. Aaron Schimmer, Director of Research at the Princess Margaret Cancer Center. It's an opportunity for not just us in Canada, but really across the world to, on one hand, celebrate the achievements that we've made in the fight in cancer and knowing that we are doing so much better in our understandings of the biologic basis of cancer and our ability now to translate those findings into new ways to diagnose cancer and new ways to treat cancer. But at the same time that we celebrate the success, I think we also recognize that there's much more work to be done, work at home here in Canada, and particularly even in the development world where many unfortunately don't have the same access to the cancer advances that we have here. The theme is I am and I will. What does that mean? I think it means a a sense of empowerment that, you know, one is going to stand up locally in, in one's community and stands up within the global context to say it's great what we've done, but we can do more and we can do much more if we do it together. In your opinion, what are the biggest advances in cancer treatment in the last year? A lot of it relates to our understanding of the biologic basis of cancer, our understanding that cancer is fundamentally a genetic disease. And by that, I don't mean that it's genetic abnormalities that you get from parents or pass to kids, but genetic mutations that occur spontaneously in the cancer cell. And we're now able to understand those very detailed genetic changes, even at the very single cell level of that individual cancer cell. And we're now harnessing that information to develop new ways to detect cancer. And in fact, the ability to detect cancer potentially earlier than we normally do at the point when they are uh, potentially more curable 
by surgery. So that's one big advance. The other big advance in the last year as well has been our ability to harness the immune system to attack and destroy cancers within us. You're talking about immunotherapy. Yes, that's correct. And we're seeing each year, it's growing by leaps and bounds, the ability, whether through the administration of immune cells or the ability to change and modify our immune system to get it to see those cancer cells that were previously being cloaked and disguised to the immune system. Immunotherapy was only working in certain types of cancer. So how is it being used in new ways or to treat new forms of the disease? So I think there are two areas where we're seeing progress. First of all, I think we're developing new ways to harness the immune system, new cell products that we can give to patients where those cells seek out, attack, and destroy. But you've raised the very good point that despite our successes, we often still don't understand why it is that some patients are responding and some are not. In many cases, it broadly represents one of two issues. Either the immune cells can identify the tumors, but the tumor cells are resistant to destruction by the immune cells, or the tumor cells have disguised or cloaked themselves so they can't be recognized by the immune cells. And understanding which patients are falling into which category is the first step, and then we've got to figure out how to overcome those problems. What are the types of cancer that can be treated with immunotherapy? I know about melanoma and maybe lung cancer. So there are many, and what's kind of neat is that the list continues to grow. Uh, melanoma, lung cancer, as you've indicated, uh, leukemias, particularly uh, certain types of acute lymphocytic leukemia, uh, exquisitely sensitive to certain types of immune therapy that are using genetically modified immune cells. And there's a whole other layer of immune therapy which infuses antibodies. These are basically proteins that can come in, seek out, bind to, and then help destroy cancer cells. So immune therapy comes in a number of different flavors, so to speak. Diagnosing cancer earlier, where are we at with that? So this is a really exciting field. So our, and it's, it's a way that you can see that our basic understandings of science are now paying dividends into our clinical applications. So using very sensitive genetic tests, we can identify minute amounts of cancer that have been released by the cancer cell into the bloodstream. It's really like looking for that needle in the haystack. And using these very sensitive tests, it's at least theoretically possible to pick up cancer at an earlier stage before it becomes symptomatic, before it becomes more advanced or spread to other organs, and at a point where surgery can be curative. Dr. Aaron Schimmer, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Dr. Aaron Schimmer, Director of Research at the Princess Margaret Cancer Center. World Cancer Day falls on Tuesday, February 4th, 2020. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. And be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.